life and what a wonderful testimony. Nothing's too big or powerful. Nothing's too, you know, too, too much for God to do in our lives. <clears throat> Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are a mighty God and there's nothing too difficult for you. You can do all things, Lord. And uh, Father, we want to thank you again that uh, we can pray and we're praying to the God of the universe. We're praying to the one who created all things, Lord. And we thank you that you're here with us this morning and we pray that you'll just open our eyes and our hearts and speak to us, Father, we pray. From your word, help us to hear your voice. Help us to know how it applies to us personally. Give us the courage and give us the humility to take what you tell us to do and do it. We don't want to be just listeners, we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, but doers, Lord. Help us to do that and uh, be lifted up and glorified in our own lives, in our families and in our church, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I'm going to ask as we turn to the scriptures, to John chapter uh, 13, we're up to, as we uh, continue through the series from John's Gospel. And the theme of our year, this, this year, is about working with God. We've heard a little bit about this morning. Hopefully that comes out again this morning as well in the message. So I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 13. I'm going to read from uh, verse 31 down to 38. John 13 from verses 31 to 38. Now when he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. One of the uh, best and well-known and respected missionaries of the uh, first half of the 20th century was Amy Carmichael. So a name that we know, Amy Carmichael. Amy spent, there's a huge amount of information about her, she spent 55 years in India. And from what I understand, it was 55 years without a furlough. And uh, during her spare time of that 55 years as a missionary in India, she wrote something like 35 books. Uh, that's been a great blessing across Christendom over all those years. And, and uh, in one of those books, I guess it's in one of those books, but she, in one of her publications anyway, uh, was a piece uh, entitled If. And I'd like to read that to you. It'll get you thinking a bit, as it did me. If I belittle those who I am called to serve and talk of their weak points in contrast perhaps with what I think of as my strong points, if I adopt a superior attitude forgetting who made thee to differ and what hast thou that thou hast not received, 
then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I take offence easily, if I am content to continue in cool unfriendliness, though friendship be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I feel bitterly towards those who condemn me, as it, may, as it seems to me unjustly, forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more, then I know nothing of Calvary love. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm just wondering this morning, do questions come into your mind uh, as they do for me uh, after reading or hearing those words from Amy Carmichael? You know, for example, um, let me put it this way. Uh, out of a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how does, how does the love I love with compare to this Calvary love that I've just mentioned? Another question using this same scale, how do you think we would rate ourselves as a church in practising this Calvary love amongst ourselves and those that come amongst us? How do you reckon we'd rate as a church from 1 to 10, practising Calvary love? How does that compare to the love that I love with? Questions like that. And have you noticed, have you noticed as well, you know, how the Lord, when he speaks to us by his word, and when we listen to him, he kind of tends to clear up any such questions or doubts. Have you noticed that? And, and have you also noticed too that he will also leave us, leave us with a choice. He presents a choice to either accept what he says or reject it. Have you noticed how the Lord tends to do that? When we open his word and we expose ourselves to his word and his word is exposed to us, how these kind of things happen. Accept what he says or reject it. Judas was one who rejected what Jesus said and did. And the Bible gives a very sad and sobering picture of where Judas was spiritually, and I think in every other way, when finally he rejected the Lord Jesus and left him uh, and the other 11, after being with them for three years. Now, I can't get that. How can you be with Jesus? How can you listen to what he was saying? How can you see what he did and reject him after three years of walking with him, listening with him, being with him? Listen to these verses from 13, John 13 verse 30. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. And John has a, Apostle John has a, has a way of playing with words here. Because, you know, Jesus, uh, Judas, Judas did go out. He did go out. Why? Well, because he was never really in. Never to return again. And it was night. Do you get that? It was a very dark night in the heart and in the soul of Judas. That's what it was like for him. And you know, it was after, 
after this company, the other disciples and Jesus, after they were finally cleansed, if you like, and the evil expelled to carry out its foretold and foreordained actions, says one commentator, that the Lord Jesus gathers the eleven together. And though they may have been sitting in bewildered silence at that time, he says these things to him, verses 34, 35. He says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you know, the kind of love that Jesus is speaking about here, I'm sure you will know it is the Greek word for agape or agape. That's the word that's used here. And it's how Christ lived and role modelled his whole life for three years with his disciples. Amy, Amy Carmichael in her poem, she calls this uh, love Calvary love. This agape love, this Calvary love. And in simple terms, it's the kind of love that gives sacrificially. It's the kind of love that seeks the highest and greatest good for another person, expecting nothing in return. That's really what it means. You know, and the Lord Jesus was a, a, a magnificent living example of this love which he consistently lived and gave out to those who received him, including his disciples. He did that for more than three years of his life on this earth. And this morning, I want to just touch on three things. I want us to notice three things about what Jesus had said to his disciples. Three things about these two verses here this morning. The first thing is this. You'll notice straight away that, firstly, it was a command, not a request. It was a command. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another. And when we get to John chapter 15, we'll see that same command repeated again in verse 12. My command is this, says Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It's a command. (coughs) One of the things that I learned quite quickly as a young 17-year-old, thanks probably to the army was that there's a big difference between a, a request and a command. Uh, right at recruit training level as a 17-year-old, um, the corporals and the sergeants of my platoon and of our company made it very apparent uh, in a language that left you in no doubt, uh, particularly on the parade ground. And some of the ex-servos here that would know exactly what I mean here, uh, they would bellow out command that you would act on immediately. Uh, Whether you actually felt like you wanted to or not, or whether you would prefer to do something else, that didn't come into the picture. When you were given a command, you acted on it immediately. And if they happened to see any sign of slackness, which they did in me at times, I must admit, um, they would march up to you. Uh, They didn't care about invading your personal space back then. They would walk right up to you. And then they would say, yell at you a a number of things. They would say a few things. I'm not going to say those things. 
you just don't do that. But they, they had a unique vocabulary and a unique style. And, and at the end, they would say, do you understand what I'm saying, recruit Butterfield? And then you would say, yell back at them. Yes, Corporal, he's standard attention. Yes, Sergeant. Uh, look, don't get frightened. If anyone's thinking of joining the forces, don't get frightened by that. There's, things have changed a fair bit since those days for me. Uh, but I want to tell you, you still learn the difference between what a command is and what a request is. Not that there were too many requests made back then, I must add. But, you know, Jesus gave his disciples a command. He gave us as well a command saying, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And, and by the way, it was rare, if at all, that you were ever given a command in the army that was impossible to carry out. Difficult, but not impossible to carry out. And you know, in the same way, this command from the Lord Jesus, in the power of the power of the, power of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer and who loves each of us with this agape love, Jesus commands us to love one another in the same way, and it's not impossible. And I love what F.B. Meyer says about that. Listen to what he says. F.B. Meyer, he says, Do not sit down before this great command and say it is impossible. That is to throw, that is to throw discredit on him who spoke it. Dare to believe that it is possible. And that he may fulfill in us his ideal. And listen to these words he says, and make us the experts in the science of love, he says. And, you know, and I think we should be, don't you reckon? If we're not the experts in love, then who really is? When we're indwelt by the spirit of love. And I'll say more about that later on. But you're probably thinking, yeah, but there are, some of us struggle with that. Some of us struggle like that. A bit like this little girl who struggled with this same kind of concept when she wrote this letter to God. And in it, she said this, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There's only four people in our family and I can never do it. I don't know how old she was. She wasn't very old. But, you know, I do hope, however, I do hope that someone told that little girl, maybe she got a letter back from God, where God reminded her this very truth. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Possible. Matthew 19, verse 26. Including this command to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All things are possible. Second thing I want to say about these verses is that Jesus said this is a new command. It's a new command. He says this in verse 34, a new command. I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now you might be thinking, and it's interesting, that the commandment to love is not new. It's not new. This was part of the Mosaic law that was given in Leviticus. Uh, back in uh, chapter 19 and verse 18, listen to this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. So 
how is John 13.34 a new command? Well, it's new in the sense that we are commanded to love one another as Christ has loved us. That's where it's new. He says, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do you see here that Jesus is now the motive? Do you see here that Jesus is now the standard for which Christians are to love one another? He's the motive, he's the standard. We see this again actually in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 where the command is this, husbands love your wives, that's the command. Now the motive and the standard for that is just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's the motive and the standard for that love. It's not up to your own interpretation. You know what love is? Well, then you read the scripture, listen to the command that Christ is giving us, listen to the motive behind that, listen to the standard. It's not the world's love. This is, this is real love. Don Francisco, just came to my mind. Don Francisco used to sing a song. And, he, and in that song, one of the lyrics went like this. Love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. Love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Listen to the motives and the, the standard of love for one another that John reveals in his first epistle when we get to that later on in the year. 1 John 4, 10, 11 says this. Powerful words, folks. These are powerful words. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There it is, isn't it? The motive and the standard. If God loved us like that, then shouldn't we be loving one another as well? With this kind of love that God gives us the power to do? As his disciples, as Jesus' disciples all witnessed Christ's constant examples of self-giving, self-sacrificing love throughout the entire earthly ministry. They were moved. They would have to have been moved. They were moved. They were moved, for example, by the example that he set before them when he washed their feet in this same chapter, verse 15. Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That same expression of his agape, Love. And it's this same kind of love which took Jesus to Calvary's cross. And folks, I believe it's this same kind of love that must be the pattern of our own motives and standard of love towards one another. Jesus commands it of us. And it is indeed a new command. And I wonder this morning if it, in fact, may well be a new command for some of us that are here this morning. It just may be a new command for someone here today. Or perhaps it may even need to be a renewed command, do you think? You see, that's where it's about saying to God, Lord, would you just search my heart? Because I want to work with you. And I believe this is what working with God's all about. Listening to him inviting him to have access 
into every part of your life. Maybe it needs to be renewed, this love that he's talking about here. But you know, something else is new about, or through Christ's sacrificial Calvary love for us. And, and that is that a brotherhood, this is something new, isn't it? A brotherhood has been created. If you don't know what I mean, look at what John says in the first chapter of his gospel, John 1.12 where it says this, yet to all who did receive him, because he came to his own and they received him not. Then it says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children of God. Not just acquaintances. You enter into this whole new relationship. You become a child of God. Children of God. And so in Christ, that means that we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same father and we're in the same family, the same father. I had this funny thought. I was going to get you to look, look to the person beside you and look at them and say, did you know that we have the same father? Do you want to do that? Rosemary's sitting beside Bodhi. And I reckon, if she, wouldn't that be, isn't that interesting? We have the same father. Do you want to do that? You're all very shy. Do it anyway. Go on. <laughs> we have the same father. I think that's exciting. All right, that's enough. Scary enough. Do it again after a morning tea. Do you remember how Jesus, let me explain this. Do you remember how Jesus and what he said to Mary at the tomb on resurrection morning? John chapter 20, we've already been through this, Easter. Listen to these words again. Jesus is saying this to Mary. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. You see the relationship, this new brotherhood that's being formed. 1 John 3 Back in John's epistle, 1 John 3 uh, and verse 14 in the Amplified Version says this. We know that we have passed over out of death into life by the fact that we love the brethren. Our, in other words, our fellow Christians. He who does not love abides or remains is held and kept continually in spiritual death. They're pretty potent words, aren't they? We know that we've passed out of death into life because, we, because of the fact that we love one another. That's really what it's saying here. And if you're not in that category of loving one another, then you might need to consider whether you're still in this spiritual state of separateness from Christ, spiritual death. But look, here again, I believe this is a key... Here's the key difference. For those of us who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives... Here's the key difference. And that is that, there, that, is that it is the residing, active presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. That's the key difference. He makes it possible. You don't naturally go out loving people who don't necessarily love you. That's not a natural thing. 
But we're not talking about a natural thing. We're talking about a, a supernatural event that's happened in your life. And that is that when you opened your heart to Christ, he invaded you by his power, by his person, by the Holy Spirit. He came into your life. He makes this possible. He turns the impossible into possibilities. Do you, do you understand what we're saying here? And you, what we also need to understand is that Christianity, in other words, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a unique place in the whole of the world. We are unique amongst any other religion of the world. There is no other religion on the face of this earth who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, whether it's believers, its followers are filled with the Holy Spirit. No other religion. It's only through Jesus Christ, it's acknowledging his lordship, that you're filled with him. Do you see how it's unique? Do you see why we also get into trouble? Because we're seen as being arrogant and intolerant because we speak the truth. There's no other religion that's filled with the Spirit of God. This precious Holy Spirit who was promised and given by the Lord to his people, the church. And we see that, of course, happening in Acts 2. Pentecost. Oh, by the way, it's Pentecost Sunday today. Isn't that interesting? I think it is. Listen to these words. John 14. When we get to John next week, John 14 next week, we'll, we possibly will see these verses here. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And in your version it may be comforter, the word may be uh, counsellor, the word may be advocate, the Greek word is parakletos, which I think we know, the advocate, the one who stands alongside you, one who will defend you. And Jesus says, I'll give you another like him, I'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. This is going about what I've said before, no other religion, because it says this, the world cannot receive him cannot receive because it does not see him or know him but you know him because he abides with you and get this and will be in you and now he is in us he abides with us and he resides within us and I think that's the key difference so can you see that the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit not only makes possible but gives us also, he gives us the desire to want to love one another as Christ does. And that's the Philippians 2.13 principle working there. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's Jesus in you, wanting to do what Jesus does, and that is to love and to, you know, and to glorify God. One commentator, B.F. Westcott, he said this, speaking about this Pentecost time, speaking about when the Spirit of God comes within us, he says, love became active as an inward power and not as a duty imposed. Can you see the difference? An inward power, an inward desire, not as a, well, I've got to go and do this, I suppose, because that's what I've been commanded to do. If that's the attitude, then you're not indwelt by the Spirit of God who says, I want to love these people. I want to love Jesus more. I want to be more like him. That's what the Spirit in you does. So in terms of Christ indwelling you by his Spirit, you know, it seems to me that the more of you he has access to, 
the more like him you'll become. Let me say that again. The more of you that Christ has access to, the more like him you'll become. And I know I'm going to be running out of time, but I wanted to bring this glove along. It's a bit like a glove. It's a bit like a hand filling a glove. Can I have a volunteer? Don't be frightened. It's, an, it's a glove. I'm not going to do what these gloves are designed to do. Come up, thanks. <laughs> Keith, quickly. Forgot time? Very quickly. Just hold that for me. Come over here. This represents the Spirit of God or Jesus, right? This represents you. Look what happens when the hand gets inside the glove. Can you see what happens? You start to do what the hand does. But there's something wrong here. There's something not right. It's not filling the complete glove. So what's going on there? Well, it means there's resistance. Why is there resistance in the glove? Why is there resistance to what God wants to do? Oh, all right, there's some stuff in there. So what sort of stuff do we have in our life that's resisting the Holy Spirit from filling us? What's, what's, what's stopping us from being conformed to the image of his Son? He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be conformed to his image. There we are, the hand, the, the glove is now conformed to the hand. Does that, do you make, does that sort of, yeah, I'm going to stop that now. Thanks, mate. I know I'm just conscious of running out of time here, but I just wanted to see that demonstration of Jesus wanting to fill your life, every dimension and facet and part of your life, and don't resist him doing that because he wants to do all of those things in and through you, and we can grieve the Spirit by resisting him. We need to be keep on being filled with Jesus. And we do that by spending time with him. We, we read the scriptures, we pray, we meet with him spend time with it. so and when that happens you'll increase you'll find yourself increasing in what Jesus does you find yourself increasing in saying what he says you find yourself increasing in loving as he loves but as well you'll find yourself increasing in hating what he hates the Lord Jesus says to us in John 13 34 to 35 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Firstly, we know he gives a command. It's not a request. Secondly, we know it's a new command. Thirdly, he gives the purpose for obeying his new command. The purpose is in verse 35. By this, sorry, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you know, this was, this love was and so it ought to be the distinguishing mark, the, the, the distinguishing trait of Christians and the church today, of Christians and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul affirmed the Colossian believers for this very testimony that they had when he said this to them in Colossians 1 verses 3 to 4. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. Look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love and the love which you have for all the saints. 
So Paul sees this in his church, in the church at Colossae, and he affirms them for that. Interesting. An early period writer called Tertullian, back in 200 AD, he wrote these words. I don't know whether Tertullian himself was a Christian, but he includes himself in it. He says this, But it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. See how they are ready even to die for one another. And that was someone observing what was going on in the church, this distinguishing feature of people loving one another, believers loving one another. William Hendrickson, he says this, genuine, deep-seated, constant and self-sacrificing love for one another is the distinguishing trait of the Christian. It is by the outward manifestation of this glorious quality that disciples of the Master can expect to exert an influence upon the world so that men will begin to recognise that to Christ and to no one else these believers belong. It's powerful, isn't it? And isn't this, again, what working with God is all about for us in the church? It's the first part of our mission statement, our our theme for the year, working with God. Isn't this really what it's about? And isn't it about what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, as I close here soon, when he says this to the Ephesians, be imitators of God. Just, Just kind of dwell on that for a minute. Be imitators of God. Imitate God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and look at these words, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The final word I want to give to an unknown poet who wrote these words, and I'm closing with these words. And the name of the poem is called The Christ in the Christian. How can you lead a child, sorry, how can you lead to Christ your boy unless Christ's method you employ? How can you lead to Christ your girl unless Christ's method you indwell? There's just one thing that you can do. Let that child see Christ in you. Have you a husband fond and true? A wife who's blind to all but you. If each would win the other one, that life must speak of God's dear son. There is but one successful plan by which to win a fellow man. Have you a neighbour, old or new? Just let that man see Christ in you. The church that hopes to win the lost must pay the one unchanging cost. She must compel the world to see in her, the Christ of Calvary. That's what it's about, isn't it, really? What about being comfortable? It's about wanting to see people come to Christ, their lives gloriously transformed from being set free to how we are today. Yeah, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the power, the testimony that we see through Jesus and And through the lives of those, Lord, that you've impacted over the centuries. We know that your love is real. It's not just a feeling, Lord. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's potent. 
And Father, it's life transforming. We want to thank you this morning for your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we continue to work with God, that you work with us, Lord. And Father, not just work with us, please work on us. Please work in us. Please bring about your will in our lives, each of us. May there be no resistance to you wanting to fill our hearts, our lives with your love so that those around us can see this is something not natural. This is something that's supernatural. This is something of God. And Father, we want to be known as people who love one another. We want to be people, Lord, who all men will know that we are your disciples because we love one another. Let that powerful testimony uh, be manifest in this church, we pray. Lord, in our own lives, in our own families, we pray. Help us, Lord, to do your will, to work with you and see glorious things take place. For your name's sake, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen.